Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Blue Bomber Talk podcast. My name is John Hodge. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Tim Hodge. Tim, I'd ask how you're doing, but frankly, I know how you're doing because the Bombers are off to the Grey Cup. You know how I'm doing. Everybody knows how I'm doing. I'm doing the same as every other Bomber fan. John, we are recording the first ever Great Cup preview show of the Blue Bomber Talk podcast. It took us five years of podcasts to get here, but this is it. This is a Blue Bomber Great Cup preview podcast. Oh boy, and 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 what a way to get there! Knocking off the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in Regina. Whew. It was one of the craziest West Finals I think I've ever seen. In my life, 20 to 13, the final score, a game that had its ups and downs. The Bombers did lead the entire game, which uh, if if you checked the adrenaline levels of fans across the province of Manitoba, you probably wouldn't expect. Uh, the Bombers got out to a pretty quick 10 nothing lead and the rest of the game, um, you know, to uh, to spare a number of the details was essentially the riders desperately trying to get into the end zone after uh, after navigating the entire field and being unable to do so the uh, the bo- the uh, the bombers uh, bent a lot on the defensive side of the ball there was a big return from Nick Marshall on special teams but they never broke the riders never got into the end zone their points coming off of four Brett Lother field goals and one uh, punt single from John Ryan just uh, an unbelievable roller coaster full of uh, all kinds of twists and turns for uh, Prairie football fans on uh, both sides of what many consider to be the best rivalry in the CFL. Yeah, it, it was a West final, maybe like no other. I mean, this game was absolutely bonkers. Uh, um, the Riders did have a very brief lead in this game, John, on that John Ryan punt single. Um, um, but you're right; the Bombers led pretty much the whole game, um, often by by ten points, by 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 a two score margin. But oh boy, I, I mean, I mean, thank heavens for that that one long drive, uh, the long reception by Darvin Adams in the second quarter. Uh, three play drive for a touchdown that that spanned I think it was 106 yards. I mean that ended up being a massive, massive part of the game. The Bombers coming away with a seven point lead, and and and, and you said it, John. This game had had everything. I mean it had it had some some big offensive plays. It had some crazy special teams plays. That 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 punt return, that trick punt return. We saw the Riders almost pull off for a touchdown. Were it not for for Shane Goche, I don't know, breaking into a whole new speed level and 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 managing to make the tackle on that play, uh, um, this game had just just unbelievable defensive stances, and it also features what I think many Bomber fans would consider to be the most valuable uprights potentially in the history of the franchise. <laughs> uh, uh, on the last play of the game. Um, I know who I would vote for for Bombers playoff MVP. It would be that upright at uh, New Mosaic Stadium, uh, which is obviously a joke. But um, boy, and uh, not to mention the storyline of Caleros going back to the team that he he started the season with. I mean, this game, 
I, I, I've learned I never want to hear the word oblique again in my entire life. <laughs> um, um, this game, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. Um, um, so many unreal things. There's so many things to talk about. I could keep going, but uh, but just just what an what an unbelievable game. You know, we we heard so much going into this game. Um, um, about, uh, I mean, we heard a bit about the health of Chris Streveler, but certainly a lot about the health of Cody Fajardo. Turns out the guy played the whole game, obviously was uncomfortable, but was pretty darn effective. Uh, 27 of 41, 366 yards uh, for Cody Fajardo on the day. He did uh, uh, rush three times for 23 yards as well. Um, the big number for him, the, the, the two big numbers for Fajardo, obviously he threw the ball pretty well. Uh, did attempt a whole lot of passes. The two big numbers, zero touchdowns, one interception. I mean, those those were absolutely massive in this game. Uh, you know, it, it, there, was, there were so many things, John. I, I thought the Bombers were through to the Great Cup, I think at least three full times uh, um, in, in, in the last few minutes of this game. I just, I cannot remember anything, anything quite quite like it i don't know it, it, it was just just unreal well and, and first of all you you are correct the riders did technically have a one nothing lead for the first uh, about nine minutes of the game um and i think you're right to give cody fajardo props i mean i i frankly i'll give props to the whole rider team uh this was a team that many people including myself picked to finish last in the west division with the way that chris jones left that team high and dry to an extent uh, rookie head coach, rookie GM, um, not always a winning combination. Uh, I assume Zach Caleros would get hurt, and then uh, Cody Fajardo would come in and not play well. And the reality is that uh, Cody Fajardo came in and became the West Division's nominee for most outstanding player, which uh, for a quarterback in his first year of starting is uh, not unprecedented, but still extremely impressive. And so Full credit to Saskatchewan on on their season. Obviously, they didn't make it to the Grey Cup, but you know, still a very uh, uh, solid performance. And credit to their fans as well. Thirty three thousand three hundred people in attendance. Obviously, some Bomber fans there as well. But it's not always that on the prairies you get sellout games in November. Weather was good, um, better than expected, but still, uh, a lot of people will opt for uh, seven hours of football on their big screen TV at home on those days rather than shelling out the money to go see a playoff game and 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 miss the uh, the East playoff game beforehand. Um, so credit to them. Um, but as you said, yeah, it, it was several different times that the game looked clinched. It looked clinched when the Bombers shut down the Riders uh, at the one yard line on on third and goal. Uh, it looked finished when Zach Kaler or when um, Cody Fajardo was strip sacked uh, by I believe it was Jackson Jeffcoat um, that later overturned on review. And then it looked sealed when uh, on third down uh, Marcus Sales was about to pick off a, a late pass to Kyron Moore kind of on that stale uh, out route to the boundary side. It might have been a curl. Um, but anyways, uh the ball goes through his hands, tips it, but somehow it still lands in the midst of Moore and sets the Riders up for another first down and then to have it go off the uprights. I mean, it's one of those games that I think 30 years from now, people will still be talking about the finish. Just, you know, people won't remember necessarily the the gritty details. They won't necessarily remember, you know, which team was favored. They won't necessarily remember who played, but I think the two things they'll remember one is Caleros coming back, as you said, Timmy, to beat the Riders at Mosaic, the same team that traded him away 
Uh, and I think they'll remember that finish with just the number of times it looked like the riders were done and the number of times the Bombers had an opportunity to uh, really stick a nail in the coffin of that team. Um, but uh, in some cases failing to do so and in other cases, uh, you know, the riders uh, being a little bit like the black cat with nine lives and uh, somehow some way finding an opportunity to stay alive and uh, and fight another day. Definitely uh, one for the one for the record books and uh, one that I know I certainly won't soon forget. And I suspect many of our listeners feel the same way. Oh, I would I would assume so. This one this one will live on in the lore of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and and frankly in the lore of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders as well. It was also uh the first ever West Final to be played at New Mosaic Stadium. So you can add that layer on there as well. And John, you already you already mentioned it, but just I I the the fourth quarter of this game, I I we we know that the Bombers certainly for the first two-thirds of the season, but even really throughout the whole season, have had a bend-but-not-break offense. The Bombers allowed more passing yards, I believe, than any other defense in the CFL, or at least more total yards than just about any defense in the CFL this year. Uh, you know, They allow gobs of yardage, especially through the air. Uh, um, um, not so much on the ground, but definitely through the air. And, uh, and we did see that against the Riders, but uh, it, it was like they had a, had a force field at the one yard line, uh, the Riders, of course, did not score a touchdown in this game. Uh, Bombers stopped Brian Bennett on a weird shotgun, f- messed up handoff. <laughs> like, th- th- if you're going for one yard at the one yard line, I-, I hate being in shotgun. Whether you're 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 on the one yard line going for a touchdown, if it's if it's third and one and you need that first down, I hate seeing quarterbacks in shotgun. I know sometimes it works, but so often you see what you saw in this game. Uh, you know, a, 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 a guy from the defense gets through and your quarterback gets swallowed up or your running back that you're handing off to gets swallowed up. I hate that. Um, um, in this case, I enjoyed it because it was a good play for the Bombers. But we saw Brian Bennett get just smothered at, back at the five-yard line. The Riders had to kick a field goal. That was with 10 minutes and 25 seconds left in the game. Um, uh, yet Fajardo was stopped on third and one on a plunge. He tried to get around the end. And I think it was Mercy Maston was the first guy to touch him. Uh, to get through that offensive line and uh, and and pull him down, uh, Fajardo could not get in from the one yard line. That was with two minutes and thirty seven seconds left in, of course, a seven point ball game. Bombers got the ball back, took a little bit of time off the clock, punted. There was that weird punt, and then of course the game ends uh, third and seven for the Riders, um, and and Fajardo hits the crossbar um, with zeros on the clock. I mean that doesn't even mention. The, 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 the almost strip sack that was an incomplete pass, the Marcus Sales crazy interception deflection thing. I mean, the whole game was was back and forth. Uh, the Bombers, you know, definitely had a fantastic first quarter. But uh, I, I think the Riders, you got to think, uh, in, in, in the second quarter, the third quarter, and the fourth quarter, um, the Riders were likely the better team, certainly in the second quarter, probably in the third. The fourth with, that, with those defensive stats, stands that we saw the Bombers defense do maybe you could argue the Bombers were the better team in the fourth quarter but you know it was just just an unbelievable fourth quarter I I had to stand up for most of the second half at home watching this game Um, my wife might not like me mentioning it but she watched pretty much the entire fourth quarter under our kitchen table uh, (laughs) because that's just where she felt 
the most secure. <laughs> um, uh, she was nervous throughout the whole second half, especially that fourth quarter. And, and you know, John, kind of further to that, this, this was an odd game. We saw a Bomber team go into Calgary and beat the Stampeders. Uh, I mean, Kalaros had a great game in Calgary. Um, he did what he had to do, um, uh, made the big passes when he had to. But it was largely on the ground. I mean, Chris Strebler came in in the second half and, and ran for, I think it was 87 yards, and really took control of that game. The, the second half of that game in Calgary was outstanding for the Bombers. It was all Bombers for the last 30 minutes. And, of course, the team won. We were expecting something similar, and, and, and even down to Chris Strebler not really being used very much in the first half. He threw a pass on a play. I think that was maybe it. Maybe he was in one or two plays in the entire first half. And we saw Kolaros the rest of the time. I was certainly expecting to see more Chris Strebler in the second half. But Strebler comes out a little bit more in the second half and really, really gets nowhere. Uh, you know, this was, this was very different. We saw the Bombers rely very heavily on the pass um, and, and, and very little on the run in this game. Kolaros uh, uh, ended up passing for 267 yards, uh, 17 of 26 passing. Uh, Bombers finished with 68 total rushing yards. That is almost 100 yards less than their season average throughout the regular season per game. Uh, and, and we saw something kind of different from the Riders as well. We saw the Riders, especially late in the game, have some success through the air, but they were having some success running the ball as well. 90 rushing yards on 40, uh, 14 attempts, uh, just under a 6.5-yard average per rush for the Riders. Uh, you know, the Riders were... We're kind of flipping the script a little bit. We saw a Bomber team rely much more on the pass than on the run in this game and really struggle to run the ball, which is unusual for the Blue and Gold this season. And we saw a Ryder team uh, really have an easier go of running the ball than we've seen the majority of teams this year against the Blue Bomber defense. Well, I I think if you go back two episodes ago, I I think we kind of nailed it as far as the West semifinal was concerned. We said on offense, the Bombers need to use the two-quarterback system effectively, make the best of the skill set of Caleros and Strebler, and defensively, they needed to sacrifice maybe some of their fundamentals uh, in terms of their ability to defend the run and uh, look to do weird things that will confuse Boldy by Mitchell, stuff that he wouldn't have seen uh, on film from any of the three meetings between Winnipeg and Calgary this year. And that's what the Bombers did. Chris Streveler wa- basically played the second half and was essential to them winning that game. Uh, he didn't throw a pass for the whatever 20-some snaps he took, the 13 carries he had. And defensively, Boldy by Mitchell was completely ineffective against Winnipeg's defense. He was under pressure. He looked uh, just awful in the pocket, worse than I think we've ever seen him in his career, to be quite honest. Um, The West final was completely different. Um, We didn't see the two-quarterback system effective at all. Chris Streveler, four carries for 10 yards. He was not effective, essentially a non-factor. Attempted one pass, it fell incomplete. And defensively, uh, you know, the Bombers got lit up through the air, but they also got chewed up on the ground a little bit. Cody Fajardo had a 21-yard carry. William Powell, uh, I thought it was foolish, by the way, of Steve McAdoo to use him so sparingly. Eight carries for 48 yards. A nice six-yard uh, six uh, carry average uh, for William Powell. Uh, I think they should have used him a lot more. He also had three receptions for 52 yards. You know, 11 touches, 100 yards. You, you got to feed that guy, especially considering Powell... Uh, is, I believe, the second highest paid 
running back in the league behind Andrew Harris. It's not like you're saving him for much longer. You got to use him. It's the playoffs. But uh, I'm interested to see how this team will look to attack the Hamilton Tiger Cats uh, in the Grey Cup this week. And I, I think we should start previewing um, the uh, the upcoming game, Timmy, as much as the West Final was, uh, was very exciting uh, for a multitude of reasons. Obviously, the Bombers did not fare well at all against the Ticats this season. They lost uh, their first game of the year after starting 5-0 and to the Ticats. That score was 23-15. That's the week that Jeremiah Mazzoli went down with a torn ACL. Dane Evans came in, finished the contest. Matt Nichols had his worst start of the year, uh, throwing three interceptions in that contest. And then when the Ticats came to IG Field, Chris Streveler got the start. It was his uh, fifth game as Winnipeg starter following Matt Nichols' season-ending shoulder injury at the beginning of August. And the Palmers got lit up 33-13. to um, It was the biggest loss of the season by a pretty considerable margin. And uh, it was the only game that the Bombers lost all season at home. Um, so my question for you, Timmy, is how do you feel about this matchup? And uh, can we reasonably expect the Bombers to come out with W in the Grey Cup for the first time since 1990? Well, I mean, the first step is getting to the game. And, uh, you know, the thing with, with the CFL and with professional football is the championship game is just one game. You know, it, it, it's not a seven-game series. It's just one game. Anybody can beat anybody else. Uh, look no further than the last three great cups. Of course, Calgary did win last year, but the previous two, uh, Calgary lost them both when they were very heavily favored and frankly should have won both of those games. Um, can the Bombers beat the Hamilton Tiger Cats? I will say this. I think on paper, the Tiger Cats might be the worst matchup for the Bombers. I think, uh, I mean, obviously Calgary and Saskatchewan both very good teams at stopping the run. Uh, um, I think both a little bit better than Hamilton, maybe even at stopping the run, which has been so important to the Blue Bomber offense. Um, but when when you look at the games head to head this season, um, I, I think Hamilton is is a team that is difficult for Winnipeg to beat, just with how they're put together. I think Dane Evans has had an amazing year. I mean, that that goes without saying how well he's done in relief of Jeremiah Mazzoli. Dane Evans has played two thirds over two thirds of the season now, uh, and been fantastic. Um, he picked apart the Bombers secondary in that second game in Winnipeg. Uh, with ease. I forget how many yards he had at halftime, but it was just some ridiculous number, uh, 230 maybe, something like that. Just a ridiculous number of yards through thir- uh, 30 minutes of football. Um, so I, I would definitely give the edge to Hamilton in this game. I think there's no question. Hamilton won 15 games this year. They beat up on the Edmonton Eskimos in the Eastern Final. Uh, uh, they are more rested than the Bombers at this point. Um, they had the easier route to get here than the Bombers. The Bombers have had two tough battles against strong opponents uh, and two road games as well to get to this point. Um, so I, I think I'll probably be picking Hamilton in this game. Uh, I think you know we've we've talked about percentages. You know, out of ten games between these two teams, we uh, you know we kind of thought it would be a split with the Bombers and Riders. We thought the uh, Calgary Stampeders would get a bit of an edge on the Bombers in the semifinal. In this one, I would think uh, these two teams play. Maybe the Bombers win four to ten. I could maybe be convinced of of, of a five five split. 
Um, just given how this bomber team looks with Zach Kolaros at the helm, of course, uh, uh, Zach Kolaros has not played against the Ticats for the for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers this season. He will be the third different starting quarterback for the Bombers out of the three games against the Ticats this season. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'd say probably four or five out of ten would be kind of where I put them. How about you, John? I personally think that four or certainly five out of ten is generous. Um, and that's no disrespect to Winnipeg. Now, full disclosure, I did not anticipate the Bombers making it this far. I kind of thought their season was done, um, to be honest, when uh, they lost in Calgary at McMahon Stadium. That was, of course, before they acquired Zach Caleros. But uh, this was a team that, uh, you know, I, I kind of thought the ship had sailed on. And uh, what we've seen now, of course, is that hasn't happened. They're playing with a ton of heart. They they completely mobbed the Stampeders in Calgary and they went into Regina and, and won despite the fact that uh, not only did uh, Cody Fajardo play, but he played well despite the fact that the Riders had a bye week, which is a huge advantage, despite the fact that it was at Mosaic, which is, of course, a big advantage. Like, you know, there was a lot working against Winnipeg in that game is my point. And they still came out on top. I just think there's more working against them this week because Hamilton is by far and away the best team in the CFL. And that's no disrespect to Winnipeg or Calgary or Saskatchewan, all of whom had had very good seasons this year. It's it's just shocking, to be honest, the way in which Dane Evans has come in and uh, kept that offense from missing a beat. He looked uncomfortable at times in that first game against Winnipeg, but by the time he was the starter... Um, they, they lost the next week in a very close game to Saskatchewan at Mosaic. And then since then, they, they've literally lost one game. They are 11-1 and one since that. And their one loss came at McMahon in, in Calgary. And it came by a one-point loss. And it was when uh, their, the last second field goal was blocked um, by the Stampeders. But I, th- I want to say it was Trey Roberson who blocked it. Um, which means that they are, and they outplayed Calgary that game too, by the way. That's one of those games where it finishes and you just go, man, how did Calgary come up with that W? That should have gone the other way. Uh, my point is they could very easily be 12-0 and in their last 12 games. Uh, the Bombers have had an unbelievably difficult time stopping Brandon Banks whenever they've met uh, the Ticats, and Braylon Addison this season has essentially been a second Brandon Banks in that offense defensively it's the best unit in the league as far as i'm concerned the d-line is is the best in the league i believe jagera davis has been insane dylan Wynn, ted laron are the best duo at defensive tackle i think in the league and you know linebacking wise uh, simone lawrence as as much as you know some people myself included might not like how he plays the game sometimes has been excellent and in the secondary it's uh it's a veteran savvy group with a ton of playmakers, I mean it. Uh, they're 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 a complete team from top to bottom. If I had to say, you know, peg it to me, I would say, especially with neither team really having a home field advantage. Obviously, the Bombers, as the West team, will be the home team, but it's enough of a, a, a you know a, a random location. It being two provinces over from you know the nearest team, I think the crowd will be like like a little bit Winnipeg, you know, uh, uh, centered. Or a little bit pro Blue Bomber, but I don't think it's going to be an overwhelming home field advantage by any stretch of the imagination. I'm leading towards more of a three to seven 
10 game split with with the tie cats taking seven of those matchups and i'm not saying that to be a party pooper i'm just saying that as a realist and i tweeted that right after the bombers won i said i don't want to you know rain on the parade but just being a a realist the bombers are going to be in tough against hamilton now that said and if you look at the great cup history the last time these two teams met the bombers mopped the floor with the tie cats when hamilton was heavily favored that was in 1984 the bombers won 47 to 12 and believe it or not the, the 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 there's actually a lot of precedent for these two teams meeting in the Grey Cup. Josh Smith did a great piece for Three Down Nation, ranking all of the possible Grey Cup games uh, given the playoffs this season, and uh, he has the eight meetings uh, between Winnipeg and Hamilton. The first seven took place between 1953 and 1965, a 13-year stretch where these teams played in the majority of the Grey Cup seven times. Uh, the Bombers won the middle four. In 58, 59, 61, and 62, in the you know the golden days of this franchise, Bud Grant winning four Grey Cups in five years. Um, the 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 Tie Cats won the other three: 53, 57, and 65. Uh, the most recent being you know almost 20 years after that in 1984, and the next edition being 2019, the first matchup in 35 years. So it's cool that there's a lot of history with this matchup, and it's cool again for Bomber fans that. The last time they played, the Tie Cats were favored, and the Bombers went out and stomped them by 25 points. I just think that Winnipeg is going to be in tough uh, because Hamilton, with again all due respect to the Bombers, is I think the the number one team in the CFL. Their record certainly says that, and I think uh, you know it, it's uh, the fact that these teams again played two relatively one-sided regular season games only supports the fact that the Tie Cats are. Uh, definitely deserving of being favorites in this year's great cup yeah there's there's no question you know i i i was thinking i i also was assuming the bombers would not make it to the great cup this year so i was i was saying you know if not the bombers i certainly hope the hamilton tiger cats are able to win a championship second longest current drought in the cfl they haven't won it in 20 years they won 15 games a franchise record uh, uh, they were the best team in the league. They had all this craziness with Dane Evans taking over from Mazzoli when he was out for the year. Um, there's no question that the Hamilton Tiger Cats are are a very, very talented team and that they are deserving of being Great Cup champions. But like I said, they, they, you have to play the game and anybody can beat anybody. Uh, um, I, you know, I, I think, frankly, three out of ten possibility is 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 not that bad for the Bombers. I think you're pretty accurate in that four and six. Um, you know, it could happen. It, it is nice. There's been a lot made about the drought bowl. These being the two franchises with the longest playoff or the longest great cup droughts, I should say. Uh, I think it's fitting. I think it's, uh, it's going to be a great matchup. And I am, I mean, obviously I'll be rooting for the bombers to win, but uh, you know, I, I'm just excited that one of these teams is going to uh, end the drought for their fan base. The the next longest, currently the third longest Great Cup drought is the Montreal Alouettes. They haven't won it since way, way back in 2011. No, that's not right. 2010? 2012? Something like that. Bombers were last in an 11 and uh, Ticats were... The Bombers were, were in an 11. Ticats were last right. in 14. The, yeah, the the... The third longest drought is about 10 years. I think it's the, the, the Montreal Alouettes. Anyway, uh, it's nice that these two very long Grey Cup droughts, at least one of them, will be ending this year. Um, um, it's, it's fitting. And it's you know what? It's nice that the Bombers made it 
to the Grey Cup this year. We've had a long stretch here with, with no Grey Cup appearances. Uh, I, w- I was looking into it a little bit. The, since 84, the last 35 years, the longest amount of time the Bombers have gone without appearing in a Grey Cup uh, is eight years. Obviously, not a lot of wins as of late, but uh, but eight years is, is, is the longest time that they've gone without making it to the Grey Cup. Uh, that happened from 93 to 2001, and now again from 2011 to 2019. So, uh, you know, win or lose, it's it's nice to be in the game. With, with, with my history, with how old I am and you are, John, we are very used to obviously not seeing the Bombers win championships, but also not seeing the Bombers in the Grey Cup at all. I'm not old enough to remember 92 and 93. I remember 2001, 2007, and 2011. Three losses, and that's it. And in all my years of being a Bomber fan and a CFL fan, I'm used to watching the Grey Cup game be between two teams uh, that I have no, no skin in the game for. It's a chance for me to, to get together with the family and watch the last CFL game of the year, be fairly relaxed, probably watch it, enjoy it. And that's how the CFL season ends for, for, for almost every year that I've been a fan of, of the Blue Bombers and this league. So um, it's, it's nice to uh, be able to watch the last CFL game of the year and have it be a meaningful game. Well, and I think you nailed it, Timmy, when you talked about you know the 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 last game of the year and the association with family, the association with friends. I uh, have a bit of a sentimental piece coming out, uh, on, probably on Friday on Three Down Nation. Basically, uh, I I've just been you know seeing messages from people and reflecting on my own experience, and it's it's kind of wild, as you said, a long drought, eight years without a Great Cup berth, which is the longest even since you know, 1990, which is, again, a long drought in and of itself, 29 years without a Grey Cup victory. But Grey Cup is kind of a time for us to take stock in our lives. And um, it's kind of an opportunity to reflect on, you know, who we watch these games with and, and who we enjoy talking about um, um, and with when when it comes to football and, and, you know, bantering back and forth and debating stuff and the reality is a lot of people who were alive for the Bombers' last Grey Cup victory in 1990 aren't with us anymore, um, be it grandparents, parents, you know, aunts, uncles, siblings, friends, whatever. Um, and I, I think it's neat that given that it's the first Grey Cup berth for Winnipeg in eight years, there's a lot of people talking about, you know, who they watched the last Grey Cup with in 2011 in Vancouver. Um, who, who they were, you know, talking about the game with, uh, who, who they, you know, remember being so upset that the game didn't go the right way. And again, some of those people, young, old, whatever, aren't, aren't around anymore. Um, it's, uh, it's just one of the ways in which, you know, football and life kind of intersect and how Grey Cup is just so special because it's, it's about more than just who wins and it's about more than just, you know, uh, one, one team proving they're better than the other. It's also about celebrating the game that we all love and celebrating the people who we love, uh, you know, who, who we can share that game with and share that event with, people who we can, you know, always re- remember watching Grey Cup games with. And I'm sure many of our listeners have very fond memories of watching Grey Cup games or, or you know, attending Grey Cup games or, or just talking football with people who aren't around anymore. And that's been kind of something I've been fascinated with the last few days because I didn't expect to be emotionally um, engaged when the Bombers qualified for the Grey Cup 
And I wasn't engaged in such a way that was like, oh, yay, the Bombers are in it. This is great. I was more engaged in such a way that I was reflecting on where I was eight years ago when the Bombers were last in it. My wife and I, for example, had been dating for like six weeks. Like we were a brand new couple and um, now we're married with a house. Um, it's it's a completely different situation that I'm in. And uh, it's just kind of neat to look and reflect. And by the way, for anybody wondering what my memories are of the 1990 Grey Cup, I was not born yet. I was born six weeks after that championship. And so, you know, for people who are old enough to remember that victory uh, over, I want to say it was the BC Lions, 52-11, if I remember that correctly. Might have been the Eskimos. Um, regardless, I think it was the es- Eskimos fifty to eleven, I believe. Okay, and then eighty eight was the would have been the Lions. But the point is, um, you know, it's just funny how the Grey Cup intersects with parts of our personal lives and and the way we remember things. And that's not something I was anticipating thinking about at all this week. But I've I've been thinking about it a lot, and it's been uh, it's been pretty impactful for me. And I'm I'm hoping that my piece on Friday um, does that for uh, some other folks as well. Oh, that's very well said. I'm looking forward to seeing that piece. And, you know, I, I'll just add this, John, in, 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 a, in a similar vein. The thing I love about the Grey Cup, um, and we don't really see this. Like, if you look at the NFL, the, the Super Bowl obviously is, is massive globally. But at the game, it's, it's a lot of sponsors and, and, and you know, team people and, and, quite frankly, millionaires that are there to watch the game. The Grey Cup is is such a wonderful... Canadian tradition because it is fans that are there. Fans go out. There are so many fans uh, that that you'll you'll hear about that that I'm sure many of our listeners follow on social media that go out to every Grey Cup or at least the majority and 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 have a good time. We got to see it in Winnipeg just a few years ago when the Grey Cup was here. Um, the 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 number of of fans that come out and have a good time and reconnect. It, it really is wonderful. And, and even though the CFL is a league with, with you, know, you know, deep entrenched rivalries, certainly on the prairies, we, we got a taste of that just uh, this past weekend uh, with the game with the Bombers and Riders. Um, you know, fans are, are wonderful. The vast majority of fans, certainly in a, in a face-to-face setting at the Grey Cup, at the events the week leading up, um, are, are, are wonderful. And it's it's just such a such a nice sort of Canadian thing that, that everybody is there to have a good time. It doesn't matter if you're a Red Blacks fan and your season was horrendous. If you're a Bomber fan and, and you've had a resurgence in the playoffs and now you're in the big game, it, 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 it doesn't matter. Um, um, everybody comes together and, and has a great time and it is just a wonderful thing to see. And, and you know, it's... Uh, some people think that 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 sports maybe isn't irrelevant or is is irrelevant and not important and the CFL doesn't matter because the NFL is is bigger and there's more money there and that's where all the best players go but there is something wonderfully canadian about this league and about people coming together at the great cup that that I think is just just beautifully canadian and I'm I'm great cup week is so fun I'm so excited for this game yeah, and, and we will not be at the Grey Cup this year, for those wondering. Um, I know many Bomber fans are making the trek now that, uh, of course, the team has secured a place in the game. Um, I will be at next year's Grey Cup uh, for sure, that game being in Regina, a little bit more accessible uh, for uh, for myself. And uh, 
I don't know about you, Timmy, but uh, I, I expect that you'll make uh, an effort to be there as well, albeit, of course, a long way off still. Um, but uh, certainly, it's a special time, and I think the Grey Cup is a great way as well of engaging new Canadians. It's an event that, you know, is, is a national thing, and it's something that, you know, I, I don't want to see anybody... Uh, be a gatekeeper for great cup should be an open event for anybody to celebrate the league and and our country and the game in any way they see fit whether they've you know been been born and raised in this country for 80 years or they got off a plane yesterday and they don't even know what a football looks like i i want that to be a place where people can come and feel welcome and engaged and uh and make memories the kind of memories that you know, we, we have, uh, you know, as you and I, Tim, and many of our listeners have, of watching Grey Cups with loved ones and watching Grey Cups, attending Grey Cups, what have you. Um, those are lifelong memories that stay with you forever. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool stuff. Now, getting back to the actual game, again, I, I don't mean to poo-poo the Bombers' chances, um, but I will say this as a silver lining. The reality is I didn't think the Bombers were going to win at McMahon Stadium. Um, and I think if the Bombers can beat the Stampeders in a West Semi at McMahon by three touchdowns, uh, they can certainly beat Hamilton on Sunday. I'm not saying it's likely the same way that the, uh, the three-touchdown victory at McMahon Stadium was shocking. But if they are capable of doing that, they are certainly capable of doing this. Neither team is coming off of a bye. Uh, the crowd is going to be, again, I'm thinking slightly in favor of Winnipeg. Um, the conditions will be uh, not horrible. It looks like they'll be very similar to what they were in Regina this 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 past game. You know, like hovering around zero, maybe a, a couple degrees above. Uh, probably no snow. Uh, the Bombers, if you know, if 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 you're on their side, you're obviously cheering for snow given the style of game they play. Uh, cheering for a lot of win too, given how well the Bombers run the football. But uh, I don't know. I I I I can't possibly make a prediction for this game that the Bombers are going to win. But if we're sitting down to record this show next week, Timmy, and we are talking about the Bombers' first Grey Cup championship in 29 years. Uh, I, I guess that wouldn't stun me either. And what a feeling that would be. Something that I've never really imagined even talking about on the podcast. A Blue Bomber Grey Cup victory. Well, we're we're potentially one game away. I, I mean, uh, I, I'm only a couple of years older than John. I have no memory of 1990 either. I was probably not really even talking by that point. Um, um, so I have spent my 31 years of existence uh, uh, imagining what a what a great cup championship for my beloved blue bombers would feel like and i i don't know but uh i've been thinking about it a lot since sunday night and uh boy i would certainly love to uh be able to answer that question for myself with that said, I invite all listeners to reach out to you and I on Twitter, Timmy, at CFL Uni Monitor for Tim, at John D. Hodge for me. Let us know, what are your predictions for Sunday? This is unprecedented territory. This is new ground that we're breaking uh, on the podcast with the Bombers playing for a great cup. Again, something that was impossible to imagine when we started this show in 2015 and Brian Brom was throwing interceptions left, right, and center. Um, the day has come, and it will come on Sunday with the Bombers and the Ticats facing off 
uh, honoring eight past Grey Cups, uh, the 107th edition of the game um, in their matchup. Uh, just uh, a spectacular event. I know it's going to be in Calgary um, that uh, will have hundreds of thousands of people across the province of Manitoba tuning in, listening, reading, all of those things up to the game, during the game, and after. Uh, and, of course, millions of Canadians across the country. It's, uh, it's going to be a spectacle, and it's something that uh, I wish the absolute best for, for all of our listeners to enjoy it, to make the most of it. And uh, for their sake, I, I obviously hope that next week we are talking about a Blue Bomber victory because ending that drought, Timmy, that 29-year drought has not been as close uh, today as it has been for eight years. It's it's and 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 you could argue more than that. 20, 2001 was probably you know the closest opportunity this team got after Kevin Glenn broke his arm in 07. And that was a bit of a long shot in 2011, beating the high flying Lions in Vancouver. Not terribly likely. I'm not saying that the, the Ticats are cakewalk, as I've said several times. I think they're the best team in the CFL. But, you know, the, the odds of ending that drought have never been shorter. Uh, certainly in eight years, and I think arguably 18 years, as they will be on Sunday, which is pretty exciting stuff. Final thoughts, Timmy, going into the first edition of the Grey Cup post-podcast uh, of next week. Uh, following, of course, the championship game on Sunday. Yeah, I can't believe we're 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 doing a full season. We're not we're not stopping before the Grey Cup this year with the podcast. It's wild. Um, uh, I'll just add. I did quickly look it up. The Alouettes do have the third longest Grey Cup drought as of now. They have won it last in 2010. So, not exactly uh, a, a nine-year Grey Cup drought is not exactly on the same scale as a 20-year drought or a 29-year drought like the two teams we will see face off on Sunday. Um, um, as for final thoughts, I I don't know. I, my, my brain's been a little bit like mush ever since the, the Bombers pulled out the victory in Regina. I, I am so excited. I, I, I just keep thinking about things. And I would agree with you, John. I, I think um, while the odds maybe aren't totally in the Bombers' favor for this game, uh, whether it's a 30 or 40% chance of winning, I think it's somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, that is likely better odds than 2011, and I would say it's definitely better odds than 20, uh, 2007 with uh, uh, Ryan Dinwiddie starting his first professional football game in the Grey Cup against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Um, I think this is, while still not a slam dunk, I think this is the Bombers' best chance for a Grey Cup uh, since 2001. Uh, when the Bombers really should have won the game with how good that team was. Um, um, you know, the Kahari Jones-led Blue Bomber offense in 20, uh, 2001 was fantastic. Um, we'll see what happens. This 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 could happen. And you know what? I, I will say this. Obviously, if the Bombers win, uh, I, I, we might just record a podcast of me openly weeping next week. I don't know. That could happen. <laughs> uh, prepare yourselves, Bomber fans. Um but even if the Bombers lose, I mean, this is this is a, a giant step forward. We saw this team uh, three years ago finally make the playoffs again and, and, and lose uh, in BC in the semifinal game. The next year, we saw them improve a little and host a semifinal game, uh, which they also lost to the Edmonton Eskimos. Then we saw them 
go in and win a playoff game in Regina last season. It wasn't in Winnipeg again, but at least they won the game. And then they, of course, lost to the Stampeders, uh, the eventual Great Cup champions. And now this year, another progression. Two playoff victories and a Great Cup appearance. Obviously, falling down to third place in the standings was disappointing, but the Bombers are playing in the Great Cup. It is another step forward. It's great to see, uh, and I cannot wait to see what will happen in this game. Regardless, this has been a fantastic season, and I'm so thrilled we get such an exciting finish to the 2019 Winnipeg Blue Bomber season. Enjoy it, Bomber fans. These opportunities don't come around all that often, as we all know. Enjoy it. Sunday will be a great day, regardless of the results. Celebrate this game. Celebrate this sport. Celebrate this league. Celebrate this team. And uh, we'll see you on the flip side. The next time we speak, the game will be done, and we will know the result. The drought will either go on or it will end. And uh, we'll talk to you then. We thank you, as always, folks, for listening to the Blue Bomber Talk podcast. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you.